Are you glad that he's turned it over and over and over and over again? Amen. Have you ever been filled full of sorrow, but then God turned it around and gave you a shout and a worship? Praise God. Praise God. Amen. It feels good in the house of the Lord today. So glad to be here in the presence of the Almighty God. Amen. And I'm so thankful that each and every one of you are here today. Thank you to those that are watching online with us. Amen. We're delighted that you are here. Amen. I need the help of the Holy Ghost today. Because I'm telling you what I feel in my spirit is not going to be easy today because it deals with flesh. And it's something that Satan does not want being said. In fact, when Jesus talked about this, Simon Peter rebuked him. And Jesus turned around and told him, get thee behind me, Satan. Because when you deal with this, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be a pushback. There's going to be some unsettling things going on. So to all of my intercessors today... If sometime during this message you feel God leading you to pray, you pray. Because I'm going to need the help of the Lord today. Amen. Just have one verse of scripture because you're familiar with the passage. But if you would turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm just going to read one verse. Verse 30. It says, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me, and all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. You can be seated this morning. We've all heard the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. This saying is used to say that one should not try to change something that is working well. Don't spend your time trying to repair something that is working just fine the way that it is. If things are going good and everything's working out, then don't mess with it. If things are working out the way they are, then I encourage you today to keep doing whatever it is that you are doing. If life has been good to you and you have found something that, that is working for you and it's working for your family and you've, you've finally found blessings and favor and God's hand is upon your life, then today I tell you, please don't change whatever it is you're doing today. If you're living the best life that you've ever lived and you're praying more than you've ever prayed and you're fasting more than you've ever fasted and you're on a mountaintop today, I tell you, that is wonderful, and if it ain't broke, then don't fix it. Don't change what you're doing if you walk with God is constantly growing. But if it is broken, fix it. If it is broken, fix it. And that's going to be my title today. If you would allow me this morning, I'm going to just dive right in and start preaching. Today I'm preaching to some people who have come into the house of God and something in your spirit, something when you wake up is just not 
right. It's not working like it used to work. It doesn't function like it used to function. And, and something isn't measuring up and something isn't lining up. There's a chasm between where I am and know where I can be or where I should be. There is a gap between where I know I've been before in prayer and where I know that God is calling me to and where I am today. Things worked before. There was power that I used to feel poured out upon me. There was an anointing that I've known before. And you know what it's like to feel fire fall from heaven and it fall right on you. You know what it's like to be completely taken over by the Spirit of God where He is the one that is in full control and you are the one in complete surrender. But somewhere along the way, something was broken and we only have the memories of that move. I haven't walked away from God. I haven't been rebellious. I haven't, I haven't left the house of God. I haven't quit praying. I haven't quit fasting. I haven't quit paying my tithes. I've been faithful. I've done all the things that I know to do, but yet somehow something is still not right. And it's not the same. It's not what I used to feel. And it's not how I used to know God. It's not where I know that I can be. And like any relationship, when something is not working out and things are not the way they were at the beginning, questions start coming up in our mind and and we begin to worry. What did I do? What's going on? Why why is it this way? Why does something not feel right? Was it something that I did? Is Is it something that I said? Is it me? What changed? For even the disciples, the night that Jesus began to tell them one of them would betray him, immediately those questions of uncertainty arose in their mind and they began to think about, oh God, what's he, what's he saying? Why is he saying this? And they began to ask him, Lord, is it me? Master, is it me? Am I the, am I the reason? Am I the one that's going to betray you? And it puts all of us in this position where we begin to question ourselves and our motives and what we've gone through. Am I the reason that something is not right? Is it my fault that things are the way that they are? The truth is perhaps there are some who have made bad decisions. And in your mind, you're equating that to mean that there's something between you and God. That because of your poor choices and because of you've fallen and made a mistake, that God has shunned you and turned away from you. But the reality is His Word says that nothing shall separate you from the love of Jesus. That no matter what you've done or where you've been or how far you've fallen, nothing is going to put a wedge between you and God so God's looking down and say I know that's in your mind and I know you've got that question but I've come to tell you today nothing is going to separate you from my love whatever the case may be it doesn't take a psychologist for us to realize that something is not right and so there's this elephant in the room this awkwardness that arises and people began to do what they know to do, and that is self-preservation. Brother James Hughes has talked about it so many times when people fear for their life or they fear that something is about to take place, they begin to self-preserve. 
They begin to back away. They begin to put themselves in a shell, not being able to be touched, not being able to be loved, not being able to be moved on by God because something has been broken, something has been hurt, something has shifted, and it's not normal. And so we do what everyone does, and we start backing away, and we start hiding ourselves. And like Adam in the garden, we find a place because we're ashamed, and we don't know what all transpired, and we don't know the consequences of our mistakes and our decisions and we begin to walk away we begin to guard ourselves and build walls and begin to grow distant and then we find ourselves saying things like well I'll come back to church when I get my life fixed well I'll be involved again when I get all of this worked out I'll get my head on straight and then I'll show up again Or once my marriage gets fixed, then we'll come back to church. Once I break this addiction, then I will come to the house of God. Once I fix this part of my life, then I will approach God again. And I will come back into His presence. Hear me this morning. My altar is not broken because my life is broken. But could it be that there are parts of my life that are broken this morning because my altar has been broken Could it be that I am putting God on hold because there are some things in my life that are not working out. And so I've backed away from God. I've shunned and I've hidden myself and I've been ashamed of things because it wasn't working out right. And we build walls when we should be building altars. Could it be that the reason other things are breaking is because our altars are broken? Hear me, I have no idea how this altar that Elijah comes to has been broken down. I don't know who did it. I don't know what happened. I don't know all the details that took place. There's different opinions, different commentaries, and people that want to give their ideas. But the reality was, it was not Elijah's fault. Elijah was not the one that broke down this altar. Elijah was not the one who messed all of this up. It wasn't his fault that the altar was destroyed, but something or someone along the way damaged it. So this morning, I do not come to you blaming you for your broken altars. I don't come to point a finger of shame and cast stones at you. Some of you may know this morning why your altars have been broken. Some of you know who broke your altar. But I need to realize this morning that it does not matter who did it. It doesn't matter what might have happened. The only thing that matters is that if it is broken, I've got to fix it. If something has happened to my altar then I have got to go and repair it. I've got to make it right. That's the place that I come to and I kneel down and I commune with God. And if something is wrong here, then something is going to be wrong there. If something is wrong with my altar, then there's going to be things wrong in my life. If there's something wrong with my altar, then my marriage is going to have issues. If something is wrong with my altar, then all kinds of things are going to happen to my life so whatever the reason may be this morning I don't know what broke your altar I don't know who came in and messed with your life and messed with your mind and caused you to put up a wall but today I encourage you if your altar is broken fix it take an opportunity to repair it this morning and say God I've got to get it right or I won't be right 
But you see, the problem that many face today is that they have lived off of past altar experiences. Oh God, I've been there before. I know what happens. I know what happens at an altar. I've been there before. And it's not pretty because it changes me. It changes the way I walk. It changes the way I talk. It changes the way that I live. I've been to an altar before. And it hurts. Because there's things that are cut away from me. That I've held on to. There's things that are cast to the side. And only some parts that are laid down on that altar. Altars are not places that we brag about. They're not places that we post about and and give two thumbs up and five stars. Altars have a stench. Altars have blood. Altars are a place of death. And so we don't like to talk about them. Sure, we have altar calls. But I fear so often that we simply visit an altar like a memorial where others have died. We pray enough to be touched. But we don't lie there long enough to die and be changed. We don't mind laying things down on the altar. But we have a problem laying ourselves down on that altar. So this morning I plead with you if it's broken, fix it. Romans 12 says, I beseech ye therefore brethren by the mercies of God. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's hard enough placing something dead on the altar. It was hard enough for them to drag a bullock there and kill it and destroy it and cut it in pieces and do all the work that needed to be done. It's hard enough bringing things with you that are dead that you're just laying on there and presenting to God. That's hard enough. But God is saying, no, I want you to be a living sacrifice. What do you mean? I mean, you come and here's the altar and you're not killing yourself and dragging it over here. But you are willingly crawling on your hands and knees, being a living sacrifice, laying your life down while you're still breathing, while you still have plans, while you still have an agenda, while you still have all these things you want to do in your life. And you say, God, none of that matters. God, nothing else matters, God. But you've called me to this life. God, you're asking me to submit my all and to lay my life down on the altar. That is not easy. Something dead doesn't fight back. Something dead doesn't talk back. Something dead doesn't have to be willing. Something dead doesn't have a say. But to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And to know that that is your reasonable service. We want other things to change. We want other things to be sacrificed. We want other things to die and other people to die. But the reality is, just maybe, just maybe I must die. There's a story of a chicken and a pig, and they were on the farm, and they began talking one day, and the chicken says, you know, our our farmer, he takes really good care of us. He wakes up before the sun, and he comes, and he feeds us, and and sustains us, and gives us something that we can live on. And and he's been so good to us since I was a chick, and you were just a little piglet. He's been so very good to us, and I think it's time that we give back to him. 
And so the pig agrees and he says, well, that's wonderful. And I, I think that's a grand idea. What do you suppose that we do? And he said, well, I, you know, I, I've, I've noticed that he really likes breakfast. And I think it would be good that if, if we would present him a breakfast. And the pig said, I think that's a great idea. What do you have in mind? And so the chicken said, well, I can, I can give the eggs, but you're going to have to give the bacon. And the pig looks over and he says, well, I understand what you're saying and I agree we should present him something. But the reality is all you have to do is present eggs. But for me to give him what I can give him, that's going to mean I have to die. I'm going to have to submit my all and I'm going to have to give everything. The reality is God has been so very good to us. He's taken care of us. He's been there every morning sustaining us. And we say, what can I give? What can I offer? Don't be a chicken today that says, well, I'll just give this little part. I'll just give him this. It really doesn't require me to change. It doesn't require me to die. It doesn't require me to do anything different. But may we be as the pig today that says, God, if I'm going to give you what I feel you're worthy of. I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to surrender this life to offer to you what I can. God, I'm not going to be a chicken today that only gives part. God, but I'm going to give my all to you today. You start reading your word. In Genesis, you find that Noah built an altar. Then you find Abram built an altar. Then he was Abraham and he built an altar. You find that Isaac built an altar. You found that Jacob built an altar. And you find that Moses built an altar. You hear me, these mighty men of faith knew that that they wanted God. And they wanted to entertain the presence of God. If they wanted to surrender and offer up a praise that it was going to require an altar. These altars were used for sacrifice. Moses would share the law that would call for a sacrifice to be made for sins to roll ahead for one year. Hear me, death had to occur on the altar of sacrifice. From the fall of man, death entered the scene. Everything was working until one day it wasn't. God, he could have left it alone. I think about that so often that when God had created this place called Eden, this place of perfection, and he looks down and two people messed up and there's only two people present, it would have been really easy for God to just say, you know what, I'm going to take them out right now and just start all over. I'm not going to let this snowball effect and become a much bigger deal. But God doesn't wipe them out. He doesn't destroy them. He doesn't allow what they did to kill them instantly. But he said, I already have a plan set in place. You see, it was early in the process that he could have wiped these two out and start over. But even God knows that if it's broken, I've got to fix it. So what does he do? He doesn't send angels to come make it right. He doesn't send this second person, the Jehovah Junior, 
to come in and handle it. Rather, Philippians 2 says, He took upon Himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Oh God, how did You do it? How did You do it so gracefully? How did You give Your life a ransom for all? How did You die so willingly? God, help me to die like that. Help me to know all that's stacked up against me. Help me to know that there's going to be friends that don't agree and family that don't agree. But God, I've got to push through it and I've got to die on that altar. I've got to make sure that it's right and it's ready and it may require me to step in and get involved. It may require more of me than right now I'm in my mind ready to give. But God, my heart hears your calling today. And speaking of your life, you said, no man, take it, but I lay it down myself. God, teach me to die like you. No wonder Paul said in Philippians 3, this is an amplified version, it says, And this, so that I may know him, becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely. And in that same way experience the power of His resurrection, which overflows and is active in believers, and that I may share the fellowship of His suffering by being continually conformed inwardly into His likeness, to His death, dying as He did. You hear me this morning. We have got to be well acquainted with death. Or as I heard it because of the time last year's in a session, this preacher was talking about leaders and, and bodies of Christ, and he said, We have got to get good at dying. When he said those words, it struck a note in my heart because I'm not very good at dying. I don't like to die. I don't like to lay myself down completely. I don't like to submit and surrender completely. He said, when we get good at dying, then we will get good at living. God, if I could get to the place where I'm comfortable enough, God, and I feel your presence near, God, that I could crawl to an altar and say, here I am. Here I am, Lord. 2 Corinthians 4, in the Passion Translation, says, we continually share in the death of Jesus in our own bodies, so that the resurrection life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. We consider living to mean that we are constantly being handed over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. So then death is at work in us, but it releases life in you. You see, we are good at living near the altar But I'm calling somebody today to get good at dying 
on the altar. We come near the altar and we lift our hands and we sing praises and we surrender and we feel a goosebump and, and we pray for just a moment and it feels so good. But I'm asking some of you today to push beyond that place and get on an altar again and say, God, I've been living by the altar, but today I'm dying on the altar. Today I'm laying my life back down again in complete surrender. Elijah comes to settle the score with the prophets of Baal. And he says, how long halt ye between two opinions? If Baal be God, then follow him. But if the Lord be God, then we'll follow him. And the prophets of Baal do their spill and they jump and they holler and cut themselves and and do all that they can to get Baal to speak and nothing happens. But Elijah's next move is from our text this morning. He He doesn't call them near and say, I want you to come watch as fire's about to fall. He doesn't wait until the last moment where God is going to come down in a consuming fire and say, come watch this. No, the Bible says that he drew them near and said, come here, I want you to come close. I want you to watch what's about to happen. I want you to watch what God's about to do. But while you're coming and while you're drawing near, I want you to understand what I do first. Before I get the altar ready. Before I get the sacrifice ready. Before I do any of that first. I repair the altar. First, I make sure that the altar is right. That thing that is broken, I've got to fix it before we move any further. Before I make it to church on Sunday night. Before I make it to my tomorrow. I've got to take this moment and this opportunity to repair the altar. And so he brings them in. And Elijah knew if fire is going to fall and no altar had to be repaired there there would be no altar for the sacrifice to be placed on he said I can't just bring a sacrifice first I've got to make sure that my altar is repaired first I've got to make sure that is right and then when he did all of that and he went through everything else and prepared it the way it was supposed to be done then God answered by fire That fall of humanity that we talked about a moment ago, it was broken, so what does God do? God steps in and He says, all right, it's broken, now I've got to fix it. And so God steps in, and sure it was hard. Sure he realized what it was going to take. For he too went to a garden, and he wept, and he prayed. And he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Even Jesus knew that dying is hard. Even Jesus knew that what was being asked is a very difficult thing. He went to the garden, and he prayed, if it be possible, let it come pass. God, but not only that, not my will, but thy will be done this isn't just about me this isn't just about what I want but it's what is necessary for fire to fall and so he died and three days later he rose again and he told them to go and wait and tarry in an upper room and when they did that the Bible says when the day of Pentecost was fully come they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there appeared unto them cloven 
tongues like as of a fire. Once again, when the altar was repaired, once again, when something was fixed, God said, if you'll do that part, if you'll sacrifice, if you'll give something, I'm going to answer by fire. I'm going to move with fire. I'm going to pour out on you in such a way that it's going to transform you. It's going to transform your world. But first, your altar has got to be repaired. If it's broken, fix it. In prayer a few weeks ago, I was over here knelt down praying on a Thursday night and I began to cry out to God. God, I want to see revival. God, we're about to go into a prayer conference and we want revival. God, I want revival for my city. I want revival in our church. I want revival in our world. And I'm praying and I'm begging God and asking God, Lord, would you move? God, would you pour out your spirit? God, I'm, I'm thankful for good church, but I want great church. God, I'm thankful that somebody's getting the Holy Ghost, but I want everybody to get the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful for the moves of God that we've been feeling in your presence, God, but I want more than that. And while I was praying, I was reminded of something my granddad used to tell me all the time. Landon, everybody wants to see revival. But nobody wants to pay the price to see revival. While I was praying, those words resonated in my spirit. Oh God, who's not paying that price? God, we've been praying. God, we've been fasting. God, we've done all that we can do. God, I pray that you would show me, Lord, what are we not doing to see that revival? What, what's not happening that we're not seeing that revival? God said, what does revival mean? I could come up with my own assumptions. I could base it on my knowledge of what I know revival is in my mind. But I went to my phone and what is revival? What is Revival. Revival means to encounter a moment of reviving, which is to return to life. To return to life. Now we say that and it all begins to make sense to us. What are you saying? I'm saying that before revival can take place, death has to take place. We pray, God, whatever it takes... Whatever I've got to do today. God, whatever I've got to do, whatever I've got to say, whatever it's going to take God to see revival. And you want to know what God is saying today? He's saying, I'm telling you what it's going to take to see revival. It's going to take death. It's going to take every person submitting themselves completely and saying, God, here I am again. God, if I'm going to see that revival, if I'm going to have that reviving process, God, then first, God, there's going to have to be a death. God, but I know today that before there can be that death there's going to have to be a repairing of some altars in this place today God there's going to have to be some people visit an altar they have not been to in a long time God and they're going to have to go and they're going to have to get involved in that work again and they're going to have to begin to pick up stones and put them back where they used to be they're going to have to get a prayer life put back in place they're going to have to start fasting again 
They're going to have to start preparing that altar. God, and when that altar's done, they're going to have to climb on top of that altar and lie down and say, God, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. I want to see it, God. And I'm not expecting you to do it all, Lord. But I'm going to get involved in the process. And I'm going to get involved in that work. Let's stand all over this house right now. What I feel in the Holy Ghost right now is everywhere in this place. You don't have to come up to the front if you don't feel like it. But right where you are. If you want to kneel down, if you want to lie down, if you want to lift your hands and say, God, I've come to repair my altar today. God, there are some things in my life that are not working. God, and I've wanted to blame other people. I've wanted to blame other things. I'm speaking in the Holy Ghost right now. I've wanted to address it in my own way. But God, the fastest way it's going to work out is not by me fixing my life or their life, but it's going to start when I get my altar prepared God it's going to start when I fix those things God that have been broken God it's not my fault they're broken but that doesn't matter I'm not here to play the blame game today God but I am here because something is broken God there are some things in my life that are not right God and I've wanted to blame other people God, I've wanted to throw stones. God, I've wanted to take matters into my own hands. But instead of throwing that stone, I'm going to use it to repair my altar. And I'm going to put some things back where they go. God, and when I'm all done repairing that altar today, God, I'm going to lay my life down. And once again, I'm going to become a living sacrifice. Oh God, dying is so hard. Dying means I must change. That consuming fire that falls, it doesn't leave anything there. It takes everything that has been presented. God, today I give you my all. I give you the good. I give you the bad. Oh, I give it all to you, Jesus. God, in this moment right now, there's altars being repaired. There's altars being restored. Oh, God, we're not asking you to do it. God, we're going to get involved today. God, we're going to get on our knees, God. And we're going to put it back together again. God, Elijah didn't expect you to do it. He knew that a fire was going to fall. He had to repair the altar. He called all of them around to see that before anything else can happen, First, my altar gets repaired. Oh, come on, don't pray two minutes and quit. Dying's going to take some time. Dying's going to take you pushing through that flesh and saying, Oh, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak.
God, I haven't done this in so long. I've forgotten how to die. <laughs> oh, yo no more, yo see, Katalama. Ilolama, yo Hirobo Soroko Iatalaya. 